Hello, this is Green Seas, the podcast from trade winds about the environment and the business of the shipping and ocean industries. My name is Craig Eason. I'm Tradewinds Technology Editor, and I'm your host for this episode. And this week, we've got two stories for you. We will look at how the arguments about the use of LNG as a marine fuel could now be heading to the European courts as a new legal challenge about labelling LNG as sustainable has been launched. But first, we'll turn our attention to the Red Sea. The attacks on vessels passing through the Red Sea and the Gulf of Aden continue relentlessly. There's reports of fresh attacks almost daily, It's leading trade to flow the long way round. The long way round means a vessel sailing west from Asia, for example, would basically head southwest through the Indian Ocean, round the Cape of Good Hope, and then northerly towards the North Atlantic, and then either towards Europe or the west coast of North America. This, compared with sailing through the Gulf of Aden, the Red Sea, Suez Canal and the Mediterranean, is a much longer voyage. It increases fuel consumption, meaning increases in emissions as well as supply chain costs. As Tradewind's US Bureau Chief, Eric Piantin-Martin, now reports. A fighter jet takes off from the USS Dwight D. Eisenhower, an aircraft carrier in the Red Sea. It's off to strike Houthi targets in Yemen. Here, in the nearby Gulf of Aden, Houthi attacks that these US-led airstrikes are working to prevent are not just risking life and vessels in this busy shipping lane. They've also led to a rise in emissions in the container ship fleet. Data from maritime technology firm Cargometrics shows that for ultra-large container vessels, daily CO2 emissions per 20-foot container were 24% higher in the first 10 days of 2024 compared to the average for last year. The firm's data showed that Neopanamex vessels had a jump of 17%. The Boston-based company found the overall container ship fleet's emissions rose by 7%. That's because Houthi attacks on shipping in the Red Sea and Gulf of Aden have led many vessels to avoid the Suez Canal in favor of routes around the Cape of Good Hope. That can add 4,000 nautical miles, or 10 days to a voyage. Cargometrics chief executive Jess Scully said continued strong demand for container shipping means that the Red Sea disruption has impacted a trade lane with more vessels that are also larger. Then you interrupt a disruption to the global supply chain, not unlike the ever given in the Suez Canal, but now you've got uh, healthy missiles in the Red Sea. And um, that's causing a disruption to the supply chain. The demand is there. So the vessels and the goods are going to find ways to, to get there. And they're going to be there's going to be pressure to, to get there on time. So they're speeding up. If you look at a vessel on its voyage for any period of time, more of it is spent in a stretch or an activity where the vessel can um, transit at higher speeds. So the complexion of a a voyage around the Cape of Good Hope is just fundamentally different than the complexion of it going through the Suez Canal. And as a result of that, you have the larger vessels traveling at both absolute higher speeds, but also spending more time at those higher speeds. Scully said previous disruptions like the Suez Canal blockage in 2021 have seen vessel routes return to normal fairly quickly. But it could take some time for shipping companies to feel comfortable returning to the Red Sea, even after it's declared safe. That was Tradewind's U.S. Bureau Chief Eric Prianti-Martin talking to Cargometric CEO Jeff Scully on the environmental impact of the Houthi attacks disrupting global ocean supply chains. Now, I think it's fair to say that there are some green lobby groups that are seriously against the use of LNG, liquid natural gas, as a fuel. Using LNG is certainly not new. 
the very first purpose-built LNG carriers built in the 1960s, they were steamships and could use boil-off, cargo boil-off, in their boilers as fuel, if they weren't actually venting the boil-off into the atmosphere. But it wasn't until the Glutra, a Norwegian ferry that was built in 2000, that's 37 years later than those first vessels, appeared outside the world's gas carrier fleets. Today, some 24 years later, there are now 469 vessels in service with the ability to use LNG as a fuel. And there's a further 537, the last time I checked, on order, with delivery spread over the next five years. That's data coming from DNV's Alternative Fuel Insight platform. Then, there's 753 LNG carriers of various sizes in service, and there's a further whopping 339 vessels on order, according to Clarkson's. So this means that adding altogether, there's over 2,000 vessels of various size and function on order or in service capable of using LNG fuel. So why do I bring these numbers up? Well, it's because a group of green lobby NGOs are pushing the European Commission to amend its sustainability taxonomy so that LNG is no longer considered a green, sustainable fuel from an investment perspective. The European Union has developed a corporate sustainability reporting regulation and with it a taxonomy to help investors decide if their portfolios are sustainable or not. I'm not going to get into a regulatory rabbit hole here, but the basis is that an addition to the rules means that LNG can be seen from a taxonomy point of view as sustainable and thus encourages investors to see the region's LNG-powered fleets and even gas carriers in a green light. The lobby groups are not happy with this and have a window of opportunity according to the way the EU rules work to request the Commission to review its decision. If the Commission declines, they're then threatening to take the Commission to the European Court of Justice, saying that the current taxonomy works against the EU's objectives under its Paris climate targets. One of the five groups is the Green Lawyers at UK-based Opportunity Green, who've been battling to encourage the shipping industry to wean itself off of its desire to use natural gas as a marine fuel. I spoke to environmental lawyer Carly Hicks about the challenge and how long it could take and the chances of it actually being successful. Our ask is that it reviews those rules and removes the criteria that essentially sanction investment into LNG fueled ships as being sustainable. Um, we effectively just wanted to strike those criteria out of the Shipping Taxonomy Delegated Act. In an ideal world, we would want it to replace those criteria with criteria that would incentivise a green transition. And that means you know, things like green hydrogen and direct air capture e-fuels, rather than existing fuels that are, are increasingly being shown to be not not as climate friendly as perhaps certain shipping companies and cruise companies would have you believe. On that point, while Carly talks about e-fuels, she does not include e-LNG or e-methane in that list. The main problem is not that LNG is a fossil fuel and creates CO2 when burned in an engine, it does, but it's the issue of methane slip, the unburned methane that passes through the engine and into the atmosphere, something that will still happen with ELNG or E-methane. Methane, the main component of natural gas, is a much worse greenhouse gas than CO2. 
And Hicks also said that they don't believe the onboard technologies being put into the market to curtail methane slip are mature enough or widely available enough to be applied. Nor, she says, is the enforcement mechanism widely available or used. But how long would it take for Opportunity to Green and his fellow lobby groups to change the taxonomy? It's a job that Opportunity Green said they need to push on with, even though it could take more than a couple of years to get their goals. Essentially, this is the only mechanism available to us to challenge this taxonomy, these taxonomy rules. And if we don't do it, no one else will. Uh, shipping is, you know, it's not a major focus of philanthropy generally. We are very much focused on it. That's where we consider our expertise to be. So if we're not going to do it, then, you know, we can't rely on somebody else to do that. And not challenging this would give the EU essentially free reign to water down a classification system designed to give investors and ultimately consumers clear messages about what green investments look like. We are essentially anticipating that the Commission will turn around and say, actually, no, we, we're not that interested in reviewing our uh, decision, thank you very much. At which point we'll need to consider whether we want to take that to the Court of Justice of the European Union. We think it's really important to challenge because, you know, finance flows are key to um, a sustainable shipping transition. We also see that climate litigation risk actually makes investors quite nervous. So we're hopeful that just by launching this challenge in the first instance, we'll sort of alert investors to the fact that you know, maybe they should be thinking twice about whether LNG is as green as it ostensibly uh, would appear to be. That's Carly Hicks from Opportunity Green on the legal challenge she and others have made to the European Commission to amend its sustainability taxonomy to ensure investors and others do not have the ability to label natural gas as green or sustainable. Now, as she admits, this challenge will take a couple of years to run its course if they opt to go to the European Courts of Justice. But then again, Hicks admits it's as much about raising awareness with investors and stakeholders as it is about getting the regulators to brand LNG as unsustainable. But is all of this a bit unnecessary and perhaps even prosaic? First, as I mentioned, there's something like 2,000 vessels of various types on order or in service that can and likely will use LNG as a fuel, and the order book doesn't seem to be slowing down though there are new buildings being ordered with dual fuel methanol and even ammonia right now. But the other point made by some is that there are already existing and pending regulations that will be pushing owners to be sustainable regardless of labelling. LNG carrier operators are of course fairly opposed to what Opportunity Green is trying to achieve. Here's Oyston Kalaklev. He's chief executive of Flex LNG, based in Oslo, a company with a fleet of 13 large LNG carriers. We're not sceptical to getting environmental-friendly ships. You know, That's actually the business case of Flex LNG. Our business case was that we contracted 30 new LNG carriers with the newest kind of propulsion, the MEGI propulsion, and then four ships with the XDF propulsion. And, and, and these ships are consuming 60% less fuel than the steam generation of ships, which was around uh, uh, until, you know, there was a regular ship until 2008. So you are reducing 60% emissions. So, so that's, a, that's a pretty good uh, level of emission reduction. What we, you know, what I don't like too much is all this bureaucracy. We have uh, CII, we have the green taxonomy, and we just keep on producing a lot of red tape 
which means that all businesses, they need to hire lawyers, consultants, people who are making papers and reports. You know, the reason why we have the EU ETS system, the carbon emission system, is that people will pay if they pollute. So that gives them a real monetary incentive to cut emissions. So why do you need all this other green, uh, green and red tape on top of it? You know, if you emit, you pay for it. And it's quite costly to emit today. You know, carbon emissions in, in EU is 80, 90 euros per ton. So you have a pretty good incentive to reduce it. Now the Biden administration is also uh, proposing a tax on methane emission. And this tax is much bigger. So here we are talking up to $1,500 per ton. Uh, if you are emitting methane or CH4. Uh, and, and, you know, back in February 2020, we had an Investor Day for Flex where methane emissions was one of the key uh, teams already back then. Uh, carbon capture was another, by the way. Uh, and, and where we said that 50% of the methane emissions today is profitable to abate. So you don't need to have a tax to abate. I mean, you, the businesses should be doing this already. Uh, so I think, you know, rather than having all this regulation, you, if you have a problem, you tax the problem through a price and then the market will solve it. We don't need more laws and new regulation to solve these problems. We need to price the emissions. That's Oyston Kalaklev, CEO of Flex LNG, expressing his thoughts on the red tape and bureaucracy that goes with the environmental regulations. And before that, we heard from the challenge being made by Opportunity Green and four other lobby groups challenging the EU Commission's decision to label LNG as a sustainable fuel. Now, Kalaklev mentioned a potential US regulation set to charge on methane emissions, but from what we understand at Tradewinds of the EPA rule proposal, it's for large oil and gas companies and the methane emissions they emit during gas extraction and processing will not at first application be directly applied to shipping. Now I've just got time for some other interesting environmental technology and sustainability news I think you should take a look at on tradewindsnews.com. The UK-based designer of a wind propulsion technology, Bar Technologies, has got cosy in China with a deal with CM Energy Tech that will see the Hong Kong-listed subsidiary take responsibility for the construction of the company's patented wing sail system. Bar Technologies managed to make shipping something of a social media hit last year with videos of its first installation on Mitsubishi's Pyrex Ocean, which is on charter to Cargill. Now, we have been reporting on Tradewinds on the retrofit challenges and systems that are needed for the existing chips in the global fleet to meet the expected environmental targets being placed on them. It may seem easy for some, with small retrofits being self-financed, but for major upgrades to keep vessels in compliance with as yet unknown benchmarks, it'll be a case of accessing additional finance. And then, who owns the debt, given that a ship's equipment is considered part of a ship from a mortgage perspective? It is, in an article by my colleague in Singapore, Jonathan Boudanzia, a collateral conundrum. And lastly, the weather routing and digital consolidation we saw in 2023 has not abated, it seems. ABB Marine and Ports, the Finnish-based division of the Swiss conglomerate, has acquired the shipping business of a weather company US-based DTN. 
No financial details were given, but I noted that DTN came with its own API, which will enable different software to link more easily with each other. So that's it for this week's Green Seas. I'll be back with Eric next week, where you can hear from my conversation with Norwegian ship owner Odfjell and Greek Green about the ways leading owners are looking at the whole vessel life cycle emissions. Yes, they're already looking well beyond the fuel picture of a ship and getting transparency on a ship's footprint from cradle to grave. You can find more about these stories on tradewindsnews.com as well as more news about the continuing order book. There seems to be a lot of orders for ammonia carriers, for very large crude carriers, for methanol and ammonia fueled vessels. I'm Craig Eason. Goodbye for now. <laughs>